Yadi Limon. I played Kennedy on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Nicole Brennan on Dead Space. This is Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that survived the destruction of a dying planet and is now here on this one to annoy you for the rest of time. I'm your host Craig and we're here to discuss Man of Steel because the Snyder Cut's coming out soon. And joining me to discuss Man of Steel is Isaac. Hello. Hello. How are you? You ready to talk some Kryptonian destruction? Yes. Good. Good. There's a lot of destruction and we will talk about it. It is a lot of destruction. Yeah. But the Snyder Cut is coming out soon, which is going to be even more destruction. Speaking of, that's a really bold second trailer to put the equivalent of the Thanos snap as the first footage. (laughs) (laughs) The Superman with lightning shooting out of him clearly at the thrones of death. Never mind, we're not talking about Snyder Cut, but it just seems weird. Let's start the trailer off with the lowest low point. Isn't that scene at the start of that, just the scene from BVS where he gets stabbed? I thought that was just that one. I thought it was the, what's it called, the anti-life thing. Because, you know, it's like there's like a, a shockwave thing coming out of him. Oh, I don't know. There's like a sort of ripple effect, like an after-explosion effect. So I assume it's the big going into that weird nightmare world. I thought it started off with the clip that we're familiar of, of him getting stabbed. And then it cuts to that, which is a completely different thing. I could be wrong. I've not seen the trailer like extensively. Maybe. I've only watched it yeah. once. <laughs> like on my phone. But it looks- <laughs> It's looked surprisingly okay. I think the problem is everyone's talking about how negative it is, that you kind of like watch trailers like, well, you never know. <laughs> it might not be terrible. It'll be long. It might not be it terrible. It might be the best four hours you ever spend on anything. Yeah. It's the exact wrong time for this film to come out, because ideally this would be a perfect movie to invite everyone over and have some drinks and do it like a big marathon. Like, okay, four hours. We've got enough pizza and stuff, like a big group activity, as opposed to watching it alone in a room. (laughs) Then anyone asks us, like, I'm watching a four-hour Superman movie (laughs) that I've already seen. Yeah, what did you do last night? I watched the Snyder Cut on my own in the dark. Yeah, Yeah, nobody wanted to see it, but it was four (laughs) hours, so we had to. (laughs) It's like the dumbest... (laughs) Anyway, we'll have a separate discussion in some configuration on the Snyder Cut when it comes out. And it'll be four and a half hours long because our podcasts tend to be longer than the films themselves. So that doesn't even bear thinking about. That's just a day of my life, pretty much, going to be spent either watching or talking about the Snyder Cut. Do I want to do that? Chris keeps suggesting we just get our podcast about Justice League and pause it every so often and then interject with what's different at that point. Yeah. I mean, ideally, it would be a live chat. Just as we're I watching, I think that'd be the funniest way of doing it. Like a commentary, like a reaction, <laughs> an unboxing thing, sort of unboxing. an unboxing yeah. video. Uh, yeah, we digress. Let's get away from the Snyder Cut. So, before the Dark Times, before the Snyder Cut, there was Man of Steel, which is the first film in the now defunct, might still exist, might be a multiverse, might be something else. DC extended or expanded? I think it's extended universe. So, this was just a film that came out and. People might have enjoyed it. So 
Before we get into the film, though, what is your connection to the character of Superman? Are you a big fan of Superman and why? Or if not, then why? Oh, yeah, I love Superman. I love specifically Clark Kent. And I love that it's the idea that he's just someone, he's just a guy. He's not showy, he's not like a millionaire or anything. He can just be just a guy in the office and he's not the most popular. He's just sort of, he works there, he's in New York, well, not New York, Metropolis, which is kind of like New York. It's like millions of people. He's just another guy you could be next to on the train or in Subway or Starbucks. But also, if you actually pay attention to these people, they could be superheroes, we don't know. Which I always think is a really inspiring and lovely idea that underneath, when you actually get to know people, they could be far more interesting and powerful than what you immediately sort of say just from like the base from first meetings of people it's like oh yeah this person is you know clark kent it's pretty much of a background guy he doesn't stand out but actually he is superman but the reason no one figured it out like think about you know oh, yeah like oh, he's just wearing glasses how can nobody tell it's because i don't know what i mean obviously i've not been on a bus today but you get on a bus you don't remember oh i know exactly that guy's face i'm gonna remember it it's just some dude so yeah i've always liked the nice message that anyone could have this sort of potential but you're not going to know if you don't pay attention to them. Which I, I always find those really love. Superman comics are just so nice. Oh, he'll just rescue a cat or help people out of a burning building or something. It's sort of like a very wholesome thing to read. It's great on a Wednesday or Thursday, whenever you get your comic, just have a read and like, oh, yeah, Superman's just helping people for 20 pages with zero threat. It's really lovely. Yeah, and the glasses situation is always hotly debated, isn't it? People are always laughing. How do people notice that he's not wearing glasses? And that's the conceit yeah. you have to buy into when you read or watch the stuff. Otherwise, you just can't read or watch it because you'll drive yourself nuts. Yeah, and also because we're focused on him. <laughs> oh, it's obvious to us, but then also he is faster than a speeding bullet. So yeah. you're not going to see him. You're just seeing a blur. <laughs> Different writers have tried to rationalise it in different ways. They've done the the whole way he conducts himself changes, he hunches and talks differently and does his best yeah. to not stand out. And I think some versions have done the, he has low-grade mind control abilities, or not quite mind control abilities, but he projects some kind of field that make people not pay attention to the similarities and things like that. I think it's yeah. fine for your general public. You walk past the guy with glasses and you're not going to assume that he's a celebrity or just because your taxi driver looks like Tom Cruise doesn't mean your taxi driver is Tom Cruise. It just means it's some guy. But I think anybody that works with him every day and works closely with him or sees him every day in some capacity shouldn't really be fooled by that because you would constantly be seeing him and it would yeah. stand out. He also sounds like him, <laughs> which you would notice eventually, especially because yeah. Superman's very vocal. But then there's the thing of people who work with you every day, but do they know that under those that glasses and that office tie, there's a heart of a podcaster. I don't wear a tie in the office. I do wear glasses in the office, yeah, but not a tie. And yes, they do, because I keep talking about it, trying to get them to listen, and they don't. <laughs> exactly. It's the same with Stephen Man. I listen to your nonsense all day. Why would I listen to your podcast, is what they say. And I'm like, yeah, fair enough. I'm a big fan of Superman as well, more so on the side of his values. I like how virtuous he is. I like how committed to justice he is all those things that he's just a nice dude and actually weirdly marvel made the best superman movies with captain america in them because they share the same values they agree on everything if you got them in a room and they had a conversation they wouldn't have anything to disagree on yeah he's the the equivalent yeah. when you all have equivalents and i suppose yeah captain america and superman are the swaps the moral the swaps centers of their universe yeah yeah which is fine but they seem to have not quite done that with superman i think this film that we're talking about, or we'll eventually talk about, 
does that to an extent, but it never gets a chance to follow through on it. So it kind of starts it, but doesn't follow through on it. I like Superman. I like the animated series that I watched in the 90s and rewatched a couple of years ago. The Justice League show that he's in, really good. The Christopher Reeve films, as flawed as they are, I like two of them, more or less. All the animated films that have had Superman in them are pretty good. Yeah, there's that new show. I think it's just one episode out so far. Two episodes as of recording, yeah. possibly three by the time this releases. But yeah, that's excellent as well. And that's a fresh take on him as well. Because this is him, after he's had his career as Superman for a while, now he's a husband and a father and juggling all those things. So when he's introduced in Supergirl, he's got it all figured out. He's what she's trying to aspire to, as in he's got the perfect balance between his home life and his work life. And he understands what he's doing and he knows what he's doing to save people. She's just figuring it out. And now it's at the point where he's done all that, but now there's a big change in his life and he has to adapt to it. So he's as clueless as anyone at that point, which is really interesting to watch. It's a really good show. Judging by the ratings, turns out people are interested in Superman, contrary to what some people at Warner Brothers seem to think. Yeah, pretty much all superhero movies kind of suffer from this, which is the person that they are is more interesting than whatever powers they have, because Superman, I think the reason a lot of people find him boring is because, oh yeah, he can fly and he's indestructible and super strong or whatever. That's boring. And it's like, oh yeah, because character's more interesting. So the reason why this new show's really good is because we're seeing him just struggling and being a dad and doing other stuff. You don't have to focus too much on him carrying trains or whatever. <laughs> we have fun, but also it's more fun seeing him fit in with the real world, yeah. which is the more interesting bit. Yeah, plus he still does fight things that can take him in a fight and stuff. He fights a guy yeah. in a mech suit in the first couple of episodes. And he stops a nuclear reactor from blowing up and stuff like that. So there is still that. But yeah, yeah the more interesting part is... Yeah, you can still have your fun, yeah. but you need to have like a balance of superhero stuff and also real-world stuff. Yeah, the more interesting part is, how is he going to solve the fact that his sons are feeling a bit despondent because he's never there as a dad? He has a son with an anxiety disorder. How is he going to handle that? How is he going to juggle his time? How is he going to react to the fact that he's moving back to Smallville and the town is in ruins because there are no jobs and things so there's all that stuff it's it's very interesting and i would recommend watching it because it's great so far but that's not what we're here to talk about we're here to talk about man of steel so without spoiling for this several years old film what are your thoughts on this as a film yeah i really love this movie but i think i'm sort of biased because it was my first proper superman thing i watched the movie then bought comics afterwards because like oh that's really good i should find out more about him it's fun if you don't think too hard about it which is a shame because that's exactly what we're here to do now if you just watch it because you want to watch it it's just really entertaining it's got some weird statements and weird messages and some weird characters but ultimately it's a good solid origin i guess movie for him yeah i think so i do agree i think it's a really good film has a lot of interesting ideas in there it doesn't get followed up on necessarily because warner brothers took the whole franchise in a radically different direction once the first film was out of the way which will disappoint me to this day i'm really annoyed that we never got a true man of steel sequel because then it was batman v superman and superman's hardly in it let's face it they don't really explore him in any meaningful way yeah this is basically his one it's a one and done movie so far. Yeah. And then every time he appears since, he's very different. But it's good. I think it's a good origin. And I think it's a really strong film. And I think it has a lot of potential for later stories that we'll never see. Without spoiling it, I'm going to do the spoiler zone or the spoiler. Getting our 
oddly not safe for work shaped escape pods and fire <laughs> ourselves into the spoiler zone. Yeah, or go to the spoiler fortress of solitude. I don't know. Go somewhere. We'll do something spoilery. Yeah. This looks like a job for Superman. Let's start with the plot a bit. We'll jump around and bring other things in. But broadly, this is a Superman origin story. And arguably, the Superman origin story is the best known of any of the superhero origin stories. I think everybody knows he's an alien. He was sent away from his dying planet. He grew up on a farm. He moves to the big city, becomes a journalist and also a superhero. So everybody knows those kind of broad strokes. And it's been covered in enough detail in things like the Christopher Reeve movies or Smallville. Or to an extent, the new adventures of Superman with Dean Cain, they do dig into his origins as the show goes on. Although they don't explicitly show his origin, they just talk about it and elements of it come up. So this is well-trodden ground. Arguably more well-trodden than the Wayne murders, which me and Chris counted offline at one point. I think we've seen them in live action six times in one form or another. That's a fair Yeah, that's... Martha and Thomas Wayne being gunned down six separate times in cinema and on TV. So, brilliant. That seems like a low number. Yeah, it seems more than it is, I think, because it's happened so frequently over a short period of time. Yeah. So, for example, you see it in Batman Begins and then you see it again in Batman v Superman. And it's not been that long between the two films. Yeah, and it's in Joker as well. Yeah. So, yeah, there's been lots recently... And Gotham as well. The first episode of Gotham shows it. And Gotham, yeah. But then I suppose it wasn't every Adam West one would have a troubling moment where he stare out the window. <laughs> he remembers back to his parents being murdered. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I do want to see that Adam West flashback, but I wonder what it would be like. Someone drops a bag of pennies and he just has a moment of them all bouncing <laughs> along the pavement. That's a really deep look in his eyes yeah. for a second. <laughs> so the Superman origin story, well known. But do you think this film does it well and does it differently enough to not feel stale? I think it does, broadly. I think it misses out on a very important part. It misses out on all this going to Metropolis journalism stuff, <laughs> which is saves for Batman v Superman, kind of. But not really, yeah. But not really. <laughs> the big sort of tone of the movie is, can I be trusted? Will I fit in? Will I be accepted? Sort of thing. But the film never really gives it a go. Because this version is mostly solitary, he's moving from place to place, he's never in one place, he doesn't want to be found. And then there's a big finale fight and he has to get involved, but he never gives anyone a chance to actually see if they will accept him. He's never Superman before the big fight with Zod at the end. So I think that's a missing link thing, but it doesn't really become Superman until the very end. And it just feels odd. Like, you know, I'll say the perfect world, it would have been better if we had Man of Steel 2 afterwards where we actually got to see more of him being in Metropolis and being a journalist and whatever. Whereas this one, start with Krypton, because I think the Krypton stuff at the beginning, I think you could get rid of all of that and the film wouldn't lose anything. That big opening, the giant scene, there's Russell Crowe, there's a giant dragon, and there's people talking in the codex (laughs) and the swimming stuff. Because later on in the movie, he just tells Superman that anyway which we don't need to know because we've seen it. We've seen it happen. So it's a more exciting way of telling us all of this, I suppose. 
But really, it goes on for a while, and it's funny watching Russell Crowe trying to work. His, I don't want to throw any shade on Russell Crowe, but Michael Shannon's really into it, and everyone else is just sort of saying dumb words. Every line is like, "We have to get the codex. The the high chiefs won't listen. The thingy is imploding. Like it's all thingy. The colony planets." And then it's as you know, Jorel, the codex contains the genetic code yeah. of every Kryptonian yet to be born. It's like, yes, I know. It's just science words all the time. And there's that great line where it's like, we had a child, Zod, a boy child. <laughs> Which is such a weird term, weird science planet. And it's like, oh yeah, it's the firstborn of thingy. All it does is just add confusion and questions. When really, you could cut that in half. Show Superman's pod being flown away. Oh, uh, that's the bit I loved where he tells Zod, you'll never get hand of my son. I've fired him off. You'll never find him. And then the ship's only about 100 foot off the launch base. <laughs> so it's like, oh, it's there. You can throw a stone and hit it. Yeah. See that giant trail that's heading yeah, the giant trail. <laughs> it's not even higher than a standard modest church away from the floor. <laughs> it's like, you'll never get to him. We have to shoot it down. I think the, the whole intro is kind of dumb. And the origins we know is... He gets fired off into space, lands on Earth. Whereas this has a lot of weird, sciencey stuff at the beginning. Yeah, and it emulates the first Christopher Reeve film in that way because that starts off on Krypton and it doesn't spend quite as much time there. I think it's about 20 minutes in this film that's on Krypton. So Krypton blows up quite late in, really. And yeah, I do agree. Since the film employs flashbacks anyway, I think they used flashbacks just so we wouldn't be going through the motions of waiting like an hour for Henry Cavill to turn up, like in Superman 1, where it takes however long it takes for Christopher Reeve to finally appear. But they could have used the Krypton flashback as well. So when he first meets the the Jor-El AI in the Superman TV show that's on, they call them hologramps, which I think is hilarious. Hologramps. (laughs) You could do it there because it's Clark's dad rather than his granddad. But I thought it was really funny. Really clever little description there. Hologramps. It's going to stick. They could have chucked in a truncated flashback of everything that's going on there because you don't need to see Jor-El appealing to the Council of Krypton to try and save the planet and finding out how stupid they are and things like that. But you could get the broad strokes of, we launched you off and you get a bit of that. And yeah, Russell Crowe gets to punch Michael Shannon. Fair enough, you've hired him. Russell Crowe likes to punch people, it seems. So let's do that. But there's a lot in there that doesn't need to be there. Yeah. On the opposite end, the flashback stuff's really good because it's lots of opportunities to do small acts of different like. Would you say this version is not as close to his family as usual? It depends on how you define usual because what is usual in the DC universe, it's much less consistent yeah. than it is in Marvel. So it just depends. I mean, in terms of sacred story tv ones comic ones he visits from time to time in this film but there's a whole thing you know, he's had lovely loving parents and stuff whereas in this film well kevin cosner will get to because that's just a mess <laughs> and he occasionally goes back to see mark kent but when he arrives like, it feels like he's been away for years yeah i think he has been away for a while but if you look at the christopher reeve film for example what happens is jonathan dies clark says i need to go he buggers off to the arctic where he hangs around for eight years or however long it is, then he emerges as Superman. And Martha Kent is never seen again after that point. He talks about sending half of his salary to her, but that's it. She's never seen again. Yeah, a lot of versions of him have that. That's his grounded Earth element. He has his Fortress of Solitude, but he has his farmhouse in Kansas. It is Kansas. That's his Earth half. Usually it feels like he always sort of stays connected to that, to be among the people. He's got his family, and also he's got his job in Metropolis. 
Whereas this Superman is actually it's kind of similar to all of DC's current superhero roster, Aquaman and Wonder Woman as well. Real loners, aren't they? Real emos. No one really hangs out with anybody. Well, he spends a reasonable amount of time in Smallville in this film. After he finds the ship and learns about his past, the first thing he does is goes to see Martha and then tell her about it. And then he hangs around there until after Zod shows up. And then he goes back at the end to tell her that he's taking on a job, which is funny. I mean, the film ends with the status quo that you expect. He's at the Daily Planet. Lois is there. He's wearing his glasses and all that stuff. But... It almost feels like that's thrown in as an afterthought. It's, oh yeah, we have to do this, so we'll do it. But it seems that Zack Snyder's less interested in superheroes that have lives outside yeah. of being superheroes. He's more interested in them being these mythic beings in the way that Superman is. Yeah, I was reading into his sort of mindset. Apparently he's into sort of like the Hercules and the mythic gods and also it's big shows of strength, isn't it? Because I know he likes, is it Ant Rand? Or it's one of those where it's less about sort of compassion and more about individualism and strength than... All that sort of, you know, American dream sort of stuff. Where you make it on your own style thingy, which doesn't doesn't fit very well with Superman, but it sort of is at odds. It isn't, it isn't, yeah. Because I do think this film takes strides towards the version of Superman that you want to see, or that some of us want to see, in terms of the juggling a double life, etc. But the Clark Kent persona, you never see him cultivating anything. I mean, he only has one line, really, at the Daily Planet, or a couple of lines at the Daily Planet, when he shows up at the end, so you have no idea that he's covering himself up in any way. In the second film, in Batman v Superman, he's very outspoken. He's just like, Perry, we have to talk about the Batman, and I hate Batman, and I want to write about how much I hate Batman, and he's very noticed, and then even Perry notices he's not there. It's like, where's Kent? Where's he gone? And yeah. That's not in this film, but you don't get a sense of who Clark Kent is, or who he's going to be yeah. when he becomes Superman in this film, I think. It is about him figuring himself out, and there's some interesting stuff there. So him as a drifter, going from place to place, trying to find clues that point him in the direction of his people. At least that's the impression you get. I mean, I don't know why he's on a boat, but he must eventually hear about the ship or what they find under the ice and wonders if that's something he should look into, I guess. And then he manoeuvres himself into lugging cargo about or whatever that job is. I think I assume that the boat stuff is to get further... Further north, yeah. Further north, yeah, like it's going up, maybe like Canada or Greenland yeah. or something. Maybe. He just kind of goes from place to place doing weird stuff. He's an odd duck, this Clark. Yeah. But one thing's consistent. Wherever he is, he can't help himself from intervening when something's going wrong. So the oil rig fire, or whatever it is, I think it's an oil rig... Yeah. Well, it's a rig of some sort, and it might be not be an yeah. rig, whatever. It's an offshore platform. And as soon as he sees that they're in trouble, he goes and helps out. And then that's that cover blown. I have to move on. Next time you see him, he's in a bar, yeah. working in a bar, just waiting tables and stuff. And then some guy really annoys him and he wrecks his truck. And after that, he's like, worth it, moving on. Then he works for the cargo company and that's him. That's where he needs to be now. So he finds a ship and then it yeah. goes from there. But the desire to help people is always there. And that's a bit of the small town values thing as well thrown in. If you can do something to help other people, then do it. And yeah. it flies in the face of the advice his dad gave him, as in Jonathan gave him about using his powers. But yeah. he does keep the whole have to keep yourself hidden thing. His interpretation of that is, I guess, once I've compromised myself in a certain place, I have to move on. And I find that really interesting. There's weird reactions, though. I don't get the reaction when he's a kid and he saves everyone on the bus. The parents are really angry. <laughs> How dare he save our son's like He keeps life. doing this. He keeps saving my boy from all these <laughs> death traps. You've got to control him. I'm like, oh, you're so bully the kid who saved all of us. <laughs> it's so weird. 
They go to individual set piece flashbacks, but they don't jigsaw very well together. They're just mish, like mashed in. Yeah, they don't give you a good sense of what his childhood was like. And I get the resistance to let's have a long period of time of his childhood, but I don't really get the connection to what's supposed to be happening in the modern day. There is that one where he's being beaten up and he holds himself back. Although I feel like that's supposed to connect to the bar one, but it comes way later for some reason. I think because that one, you sort of see that the kid who was bullying him on the school bus helps him up. So it's kind of like, oh yeah, he's making things better. People are changed. People are accepting him, which kind of feeds into the whole, how will people judge him if he shows up for who he is? So it's kind of doing that. But unlike an initial watch, you could miss that or because they're quite far apart, you know, making everyone better one person at a time sort of message that it's doing is a bit lost. Yeah, it's a bit unfocused in those flashbacks. And then the one where he heat visions the cupboard door, the closet door for our American listeners, is kind of weird oh, yeah. as well because he just freaks out and you know, his powers manifest and his X-ray vision manifests. And then it's like, I've called your mother and she runs in and then she gives him that really, it's actually a really good speech about honing his senses and stuff, but it's in front of a bunch of kids. I think it would have been a better scene if that was just the two of them. If it wasn't a case of everyone's crowding around listening at this moment. Yeah, if it was more of an intimate scene than big show scene. But then again, it's like a primary school. If there's any sort of drama and a kid's crying, you're like, ooh, what's going on? Stuff's happening. Like, you'll crowd around anyway. Yeah, it's so clumsily written as well that, that Martha shows up and then it's like, Clark, what's wrong? And he's like, the world's too big, yeah. Mom. Like, what? Where are you getting this from? <laughs> All you did was see through a few things a minute ago. But I suppose it's like he is hearing everything. Yeah. And I do like that sort of stuff. It is kind of annoying that he struggles with it and then Zod just sort of gets over it. When it happens to him, he's just like, ah, all right. And I've heard someone else sort of say this about Zack Snyder movies. Lots of nice, small scenes, but they're not very good at linking anything together. So it's like small ideas sort of patched next to each other to make a film and nice shot. It all looks lovely and like the action scenes are really great. But then it's the in-between, how do you get from one bit to the next bit, which are the weak points. Yeah. And of course, there's the infamous flashback of Jonathan Kent letting himself be sucked up by a tornado to protect Clark's identity. And that scene is just a mess. I get the idea of... Oh yeah, that's all a mess. But I think that whole Jonathan Kent's a mess. Do you want to talk about him? Yeah, well, actually, I find Jonathan Kent quite interesting in that he doesn't have all the answers. The common perception of Jonathan Kent is he gives advice that Clark can internalise and take to heart and stuff. If you look at the Smallville version of Jonathan, for example, he's full of advice. He's flawed, but he's full of advice. He helps him along... The Christopher Reeve, I think it's Glenn Ford, the guy's name is. He's similar. He, he tells him important things. You were sent here for a reason, etc. You have to use your powers. Just one. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. All the stuff you might expect. Whereas this one's a bit more... It's a bit doom and gloom. Yeah. It's got a really nice scene. The scene where Clark says, I just want to be your son. Yeah. That's nice. You are my son. Like, there's nice yeah. moments. But he just seems a bit like, give up on everyone. Well, I think his primary motivation is protecting Clark. He doesn't want the government to swoop yeah. in and take him in and perform experiments on him. But he still doesn't know what the answer is. So after the school bus sequence, he goes out and speaks to Clark and he's like, look, you, you can't do this. This is too risky. You're exposing yourself here. And then he asks, what was I supposed to do? Let them die? Yeah. And Jonathan just does a bit of a double take and then he's like, maybe. As if, I actually don't know. Yeah, I really don't know the answer to this question. Yeah, but there's not enough balance of him being like, hide yourself, keep all your secrets. There's not much balance of him giving some good advice it's all sort of framed as he's a i don't know if it's like a purposeful thing or 
He doesn't have to have all the advice and all the answers, but he's awfully just demon gloom and he's not great for the old confidence. <laughs> that. He's just sort of like, oh, keep yourself hidden. Don't stand out. I guess there's a lot of pressure to raising a superpowered alien and not really knowing what's going to happen there. I mean, he's not concerned enough to not take this weird alien artifact to a metallurgist at Kansas State University who looks at it and says, this doesn't contain anything that's on the periodic table. Well, here's your thing back. I'm just going to say nothing more about it. I've got my own sort of, you know, he's a small town farmer. He's gone to this university. He's probably gone to one of those cash for gold. <laughs> Will unlock your phone sort of guys or something. He just got off the train in Metropolis or whatever the capital of Kansas is. Yeah. He's like, what's this? And it's, I don't know, but I'll give you $20 for it. He's like, no, I'm going to hold on to this. <laughs> This artifact. Yeah, I went to see a guy in the big city and he doesn't know what it is. It's just this university professor or whatever. This is the find of my career. This could make me the most famous person on earth. Nothing like this exists on this planet. Here's your thing back, though. And I'm just going to never mention it. Yeah. Or maybe you just was having an off day. You're just like really hungover or something. He's like, oh, this guy, this farmer wants to see you. That's (laughs) what he found. He's like, okay, cool. (laughs) I want to go for dinner, but sure. Let's look at this thing. He's like, yeah, I don't know what it is. And maybe like yeah, be kicking himself for what a bit like yeah. Once all the alien stuff is littering Metropolis, it's like I could have been a billionaire because of this thing, this small piece of thing that's indestructible and I can't really do anything with. But yeah, I think there's not enough focus on what Jonathan is and what he represents. But the two dads are always a staple in Superman. He has two dads giving him advice in a way because yeah. of Jor-El or the recording of Jor-El or the AI or. Whatever the thing is, the holographic... The weird Jor-El. Dad is giving him advice, and it's usually along the lines of destiny, as it is here. You have powers, you, your destiny is to do this. Whereas Jonathan is more about, yeah. you have to choose who you are. And they do have that really great speech from him where he says, you're going to have to choose what man you want to grow up to be. You'll have the choice about whether to stand in front of the human race or not. And he makes it clear that it is his choice... But I guess he's waiting to the point where he's old enough to make that choice or where he thinks he's old enough to make that choice. And then that's why it's the, I'm going to get myself killed in a tornado while you stand there and watch. Because <laughs> I understand the spirit of that as in, if you come out here and save me, you'll reveal your powers to the people in Smallville, who, by the way, all probably already know because you pushed a school bus out of a lake <laughs> a few years ago. Yeah, that's the big messy conclusion to the weird Jonathan Kent. I don't know, it's just, it's just that, that whole scene is sort of like, we need to kill him. <laughs> we need to have him die for some reason. The heart attack's much neater in previous versions. Yeah, it's just neater. There's no explanation. I love that just driving down the streets. Oh, what's that? Oh, it's this massive, <laughs> just giant, huge tornado just yeah. around the corner. And Yeah, I'm going to go save the dog so that they don't suspect you have superpowers. I'll save the dog. But Clark could have been there and back without getting his foot stuck and no one would have suspected a thing because Jonathan could have easily made it back if his foot hadn't got stuck. Also, he's really, really fast. <laughs> People probably wouldn't have seen it. They're like, oh, it's a bit like debris. Yeah. They're not really focusing on where's Clark currently. <laughs> also, shouldn't hide under an underpass during a tornado. Oh, yeah, heard that. The dog was safer <laughs> in the car, if anything. Yeah. That'd be crazy if there was a big twist where Clark Kent goes back to rescue the dog and climbs in his car and then everyone else dies. <laughs> the underpass just collapses. And it's like, oh, good, I'm glad I went back to that car. <laughs> Clark just fights his way out of the rubble. So, yeah, done just that. like covered in blood and everything. It's like I tried to save some of yeah. them. <laughs> you told me not to save them, so I didn't bother. Now what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we just killed hundreds of people, but no one knows I'm Superman or an alien with superpowers, so we're all good. Yeah, Jonathan's a bit funny, but at least he's not talking about drowning horses like he does in the next film. He does talk about drowning horses <laughs> in like a weird dream. Yeah, sequence. a weird 
vision quest that Clark goes on that they don't explain. Yeah. yeah. We get a weird vision quest of this one, but I think that's more of like a Zod thing, so you can re- wheel back to that. So him as a drifter, I quite like that idea of him just going from place to place, just either trying to find information or just going from place to place. I guess he's wandering the world, learning about humanity in a way, getting away from his small yeah. town sensibilities, maybe trying to decide if they're worth him saving. And along the way, he does encounter a lot of good. That waitress seems all right. He seems to quite like her. Yeah, I feel like that would have been a good spot to build up either an interest in journalism or an ability to get a story. Because he's going across the world. I know Lois is like, oh yeah, I'll find stories of this man and try and pinpoint him, which is using their journalism to find out about odd events and put them together. But yeah, having Clark as a drifted guy could have been a good way to build up his, like I said, learning more about earth and the people and just seeing how life works i mean obviously it's the sort of thing you'd probably cut in a movie so it's probably why it's not in but yeah this could have been him talking to people and building up the thing that reporters have or whatever where you get the story out of people and obviously he'd want to help because he's superman it's probably a movie <laughs> there's not enough time to do the fun little bit yeah it gives you the highlights so he's on a fishing boat and then yeah. he's not and the captain calls him greenhorn oh yeah i guess he's new and that's why he calls him that. And then he's in the bar where he's waiting tables and yeah. that waitress gets harassed and he steps in. And I do quite like that scene. It almost gives him an example of how good people can be and how bad people can be. Although you don't know that the waitress is necessarily a good person, but she's being harassed. So you have to assume that yeah. she's the good person yeah. in this scenario. So the other guy isn't. Yeah, she's at least not doing anything wrong currently. <laughs> yeah. And the other guy pours a paint on his head and then tries to push him over, which is hilarious because he tries to push him and just Clark doesn't flinch. He just stands there. Even if it was just a human, it's Henry Cavill is <laughs> yeah. huge. And he's not very big. It's just a massive... It's like if The Rock was waiting a table and you're like, oh, what are you going to do about it? You start a fight with him. He's going to snap you in half. I mean, I guess the guy was probably pretty drunk and, you know, feeling big about himself. But even if it wasn't Superman, it's clearly not a fair fight. Yeah, you don't want to antagonise this guy. But he just takes it because he knows that he could win. And then he decides to be kind of spiteful and wreck his yeah. truck, which I thought was funny. I really enjoy that as well. I like that <laughs> he does have his moment to pet yeah. the Avenger. You see the wrecked truck and then you see him hitchhiking on the frozen highway afterwards. Calling his boss is like, what happens to the truck is like, oh, how did that happen? In three I power cable <laughs> poles. <laughs> and then you've got Clark on the road just hitchhiking. Almost as if he's saying, yeah, worth yeah. it. It was worth it. <laughs> it was worth every second. Obviously, that's a reference to Superman 2. Or it may yeah. not be obviously a reference to Superman 2. But in Superman 2, there's a guy that beats him up after he loses his powers. And then at the end of the film, in both versions, he goes back and kicks a crap out yeah, just like destroys him in front of everybody. Yeah. And then and he flies away with the American flag. Yeah. Well, the funniest bit is in Superman 2, because he reverses time in Superman 2, in the Richard Donner version, the later version. And he goes back to kick the crap out of this guy. But from the perspective of the linear timeline, he's not done anything. I mean, he's an unpleasant human being, so he probably deserves it. But also, he's not done anything to Clark at that point. He has never met him. <laughs> Which is kind of amusing in a way. He just does that. But it's a fun moment. And it's a very humanising moment as well. Though. Yeah, If I had Superman's powers, I'd probably do stuff like that occasionally. Yeah. And then he finds out about his heritage pretty soon after that. It's also at the same time they kind of introduce Lois. Which is a bit weird. You get introduced to Lois and then it just jumps straight into it. It's almost like you get the highlights of a lot of stuff without getting the detail. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. 
I mean, that's all continues in Batman v Superman with Lois. But Lois doesn't need to be in that film at all. Yeah, that's a story for another podcast. The terrible Lex Luthor writes his business logo on the bullets he sells to <laughs> African warlords or whatever. <laughs> Plot. But she gets a lot of weird stuff to do in this because first, you know, they invite her to the... Does she get invited or she's at the military base where they go like, oh, there's something under the eye. They mentioned trying to block her. And she shows up anyway. Yeah. Or so they try to block her and then she gets that overruled. And then they're expecting her the next day. So she turns up the day before just to mess with them, yeah. I guess. And then you get that whole thing about Hilo, Tamil Pennicut, Hilo from Battlestar Galactica. You know, Lois, I've never been a fan of the Daily Planet, but I really love your writing. She's all about, yeah, I get writer's block more. I'm not wearing a flat jacket. It's like, okay, she likes danger. Yeah, they're kind of saying like she mucks in, she gets her stories by getting involved or whatever. Yeah, and then she tells the scientists and the military guy if we're done measuring dicks and yeah, it's a good bit of attitude from her. It's like, I'm not going to take your crap. I'm here and we're going to discuss yeah. this and then from there the plot kicks in and she follows Clark to find the spaceship and almost gets herself killed, which is something Lois does a lot in other versions. She puts herself in danger because she knows that Superman will save her. It was always a thing I thought was weird about Superman Returns where Superman comes back to Earth after a five-year absence. And then he finds that Lois has moved on and stuff. What would have been more realistic is he comes back from a five-year absence and finds that she was killed a week after he left. Yeah. The shockwave of him leaving just, like, knocked the planet off the building. <laughs> just slammed into a car. <laughs> yeah. Or she ended up in a hostage situation a week later where she was, like, shot yeah. and killed or something like that. She would have just put herself in harm's way and then, because Superman couldn't bail her out, she was killed. Oh, she just had 30 Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> they all got a crush on her and they'll take a bullet for her. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, we just keep hiring lovelorn dorks <laughs> to be my photographer who will want to look big and cool. Speaking of Jimmy Olsen, that would have been a good inclusion for that guy with the glasses that she sells the. Maybe it's too much of like a lazy thing to be like, oh, a guy with the glasses in a Superman movie must be Jimmy Olsen. But that guy who runs the website that she leaks the thing to he's got Woodburn Jimmy Olsen vibe about it yeah he gets interviewed on TV and stuff so he's a very successful blogger I guess yeah I think he's like a Julian Assange guy yeah but Perry refuses to print her story about the alien that saved her life and then she gives it to him and then yeah. Perry's weird Perry's a weird editor <laughs> where he's like I told you to drop the story then he's like what do you mean she's like I'm not doing it he's like what are you giving up he's like you told me to give up <laughs> you said I'd lose my job if I didn't drop the story so I did and now you're annoyed yeah. And two weeks, no pay, that's your penance. Okay, make it three weeks. <laughs> it's yeah. weird. I actually like the Lawrence Fishburne version of Perry White. I like him more in Batman v Superman, though, because when he was performing, he must have decided that he was in some kind of screwball 1950s newspaper comedy. Because <laughs> just the way he acts. But he doesn't really do that in this film. He doesn't do much in this film, really. Yeah, I think it's, it's another case of Batman v Superman. He actually gets to do stuff, and the Daily Planet play an actual role. Well, isn't this? They're just our focus point for Metropolis. Yeah, it's someone for Lois to talk to when she's not talking to anybody else. Which is fine for this, I guess, because the focus isn't there. And I guess you get the impression that her and Perry have a relationship that's been going for a long time. Because I know in the comics and stuff, she becomes a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter much later. So it's something she builds to. But this is like fully formed. This is her nailing her career at this point. Yeah, I know a few comics where... She wins a Pulitzer Prize because she does something on Superman and the nature of superheroes and stuff. Whereas in this, yeah, lots of versions, she just has won a Pulitzer Prize for past journalism. For some reason. And her and Perry have a close relationship and she's very committed to chasing her stories and she doesn't take any nonsense from them because 
She knows how good she is. So you get all that impression. Just give you a good idea of how comic book industries work, because Perry White and J. Jonah Jameson, for example, are always just stressed and awful, because obviously all the writers and artists have to deal with them at their worst all the time. So there's never like a good, reasonable, friendly editor in these. It's always like, no, it needs to be done now. <laughs> yeah, and obviously it's a dying field as well, because it's a newspaper. Oh, yeah. It's one of the odd things that all comic book movies are struggling with is which is lots of superhero characters are from a different time and it's all sort of oldie fashioned sort of world. Obviously Bruce Wayne's sort of like an oldie fashioned wealthy family and they're all journalists. At some point it feels like they've all been journalists or photographers or reporters and stuff. And the idea behind that is simple. It's the fact that Superman was a journalist initially because it means that he gets to find out who he needs to save because he'll be close to the stories that are playing out and that kind of persists a bit yeah, he's got a good excuse to like go to war zones and whatever. Yeah, investigate stuff and then just Superman will turn up and, and solve the problem. And then he can write a story about himself. Yeah. His first draft is, and then I flew in, I mean, and then Superman flew in and <laughs> solved the problem. Yeah. Yeah, the photo is a yeah. selfie he got. He's like, I got a picture of Superman and it's clearly on his phone. His arms up on the side of the thing yeah, and he's flying. Clark, all of your stories seem to end with, and then Superman flew in and caught the bad guys. Well, yeah, he just always shows up to these things. Yeah, but there was another robbery going on at the same time that he wasn't at, that you weren't covering. Yeah, well... Keep saying how big his biceps were. <laughs> so I've got to make up the word count. So much. <laughs> it's unnecessary. But there's a quote here that proves that I'm not Superman. He did say, nice glasses, Kent, and then flew off. <laughs> They're my good buddy, Clark. <laughs> picked it up. Did you ask any witnesses? <laughs> Imagine, like... Superman's just on fire and he has to walk to people. It's like, oh, I need some witnesses. Do you mind answering questions? They cover that to an extent in Supergirl. She writes some stories about her own exploits and she interviewed herself at one point. Or she published an interview with herself, with Supergirl, yeah. that she got as an exclusive because it was with herself. <laughs> yeah. Or is it in that Spider-Man comic where he's really bad at photos for a bit? It's Spectacular Spider-Man where like, for the first series he's always trying to get photos of himself to sell but he's, he's yeah. a rubbish photographer and he has actually develop it as a skill. I mean, it's just blurry and rubbish. Yeah, because he, he doesn't understand the timer concept early on, so he's trying to take photos with the camera and it's rubbish. Or the window cut the flash, so these are all useless and stuff like that. It's good. So, I mean, it's the kind of stuff you can't really do in a film, but yeah, Superman learning how to juggle his journalistic career with his superhero career could be an interesting thing to watch. How do I write these stories as an observer when I was, was the story and... What are the ethics behind that as well? If people find out his identity, is suddenly everything he ever wrote just not credible or just biased crap now? Yeah, it's not really credible. Yeah, it's interesting. Of course, he doesn't do anything because you see in the second film, it's like, where's he going? And it just puts up with it. And he refuses to write the sports story that he's supposed to because he goes and does something else. But again, that's not something here. But yeah, you don't get a sense yeah. that he's interested in journalism. It's just at the end. Yeah, it's just the most convenient job for him. I need to find a job that does this, this and this. It's a good job, the most prestigious Newspaper in the country decided to hire you. That's lucky. Well, I mean, they did lose half their staff. Yeah, that's true. Recently. But I do like Lois's role in this film in the way that she kind of encourages him to come out of the shadows a bit. Yeah, she's sort of pushing him towards, not a Superman thingy, but she's trying to encourage him not to hide anymore. And she must see that that's what he wants to do, I guess. So she's sort of egging him on. And my ghost dad just gave me a really cool new suit, so that helps. I do like the suits being part of an armour that it's just the under. It's like the undershirt, yeah. Yeah, because yeah, he doesn't need the armour. Yeah. Instead of having 
just the red underwear. This time it's all underwear. Yeah. Top to toe. <laughs> he also gets a cape. Just, I guess, the elves were more of a flashy family. <laughs> more fashion flashy than the other ones. Well, Zod had a cape in the mind game thing he plays. You mean that part of his big armour stuff, or is that...? No, because in the mindscape, you know, with the skulls and stuff, which is really weird. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell you I'm a villain by drowning you in skulls. Yeah, that's another, like I was saying, weird Zack Snyder visuals that look cool, don't make any sense remotely. But in that scene, he's essentially wearing a black version of the Superman suit, or like a dark version of the Superman suit, with his own emblem on it. He's wearing a black cape as well. But yeah, there's no other capes after that point, and... When Jorel gives him the costume, it's a cape attached to it for some reason. Yeah, you don't know why. It just is. Yeah, it just is. Like, here's a suit. Wear it. It's much better than that form-fitting T-shirt you're wearing. So it's Superman deciding to protect people, and the way Lois sort of pushes him towards that or encourages him to come out of his shell a bit and reveal himself. And when the film wasn't out yet, I remember reading interviews with David Goyer and so on, who wrote the film, about what their angle was for this, and they were talking about how. They wanted to make a Superman film as if a Superman film had never been made, which is a good angle because the Richard Donner films, they're iconic. There's so much about the Christopher Reeve version that just persists today. The costume, the style, the music, everything. And if you want to make a new Superman story, starting fresh with something that you can define as being completely your own thing without drawing on other material, quite so obviously, is a good idea. And the idea of it being a first contact story and exploring how the world we live in would react to the arrival of someone like Superman, as well as aliens and all that knowledge. And yeah, it would be a very cynical take. We would be very suspicious. We would be not sure what's going on. And you get a little bit of that when he's in the military base and they're like, yeah, we have no idea what's going on. I don't think there was enough of that. That's where I think you should have seen Superman being Superman. Oh, he's in Metropolis. He stops a train crash or he helps someone. And then you get people, who is this? Is it a hero or? Can we trust him? Or They just sort of say it a lot. There's lots of them saying, but will I know if I can be trusted or not? But they don't really show any more of a global or non-military consensus of him. Because military always going to be like, well, this could be a threat. Yeah, the most Superman he is in the film is that scene where he's in the interrogation room with Lois. And everybody's looking and he obviously uses his X-ray vision to look through and just talks to them. And when he just breaks out the cuffs and he's like, you can't control me and you never will. But that doesn't mean I'm your enemy. That's just a very Superman way of conducting himself. It's just that straight up, I know how powerful I am. I know how you feel about me, but I'm also telling you that I'm not your enemy. I'm here to help. Again, you don't see a lot of that, but that's a very confident take on Superman as well. Yeah, because Superman just wants to be like, oh, I just want to help. That's his whole deal. It's slightly too provoking. I think it is a show of strength, which isn't really the best thing. When we don't know if we can trust him or not. But I don't know how else you'd show that he wants to make it clear that he can help. But there isn't much opportunity in this film for him to help initially. It is a little bit too cynical overall, which is the biggest problem, I think, with the movie. There's no one really on his side except for Lois. <laughs> you, but you don't get to see. You know, there's no option to check. Like the intro to Homecoming, Spider-Man, where some people think he's annoying with some people on his side, and you kind of need that. If you go to a story of will the world accept him, what will the world think of him? You need to expand the world to be more than just three generals and one reporter. It makes sense to me for him to be more defensive when he's standing up for what he believes in or what he believes he's going to be, because it's not like the 
the Christopher Reeve Superman world that he's in, or it's not like the world in the CW shows where people are willing to accept superheroes and and things like that. It's a very cynical modern take on the world as we know it. And obviously we live in the times where everything that someone says is questioned, everything that politicians say, everything that the military say, everything that comes out, every piece of news, every accusation that's thrown is questioned to the nth degree to the point where people are just debating stuff completely and you don't get the sense of that really in this film you do get the limited sense of we're wary of you there's no discourse it just feels like a one-sided argument the more cynical one which is a shame yeah we don't trust you you should why because i'm here to help and that's the argument he doesn't have any time really to convince them 24 hours the world's gonna get destroyed yeah. But I do think it's missing something. If you're going to do a story of will the world accept him or not, you need to put in something where he is actually, it's not just this one event. I think he needs to be in the world being Superman for then the world to have that discussion or whatever. But without it, it just feels like it's what they want the film to be about. But the only way they can do it is just have generals and military people occasionally ask the question so you remember it. It's not a good way to do a thing because you only show one side of the argument. We still don't know how people react to Superman in this universe. It's weird because people obviously don't like him in Dawn of Justice and people love him after he's dead in Justice League. It's very not handled well, the, the message of the movie. It's sort of just told to you in your face but they never actually try and balance it in any way. Yeah, and Batman v Superman does it to an extent because you have that montage of him just helping people and doing things and then the news reporters or people being interviewed just saying, yeah, well, he's too powerful, we can't trust him, etc. You get a bit of that, but again, they don't explore it. They just tell you it. But it, it shows you a bit better because it gives you different perspectives, whereas this film doesn't really, other than the military perspective of we don't trust you because you're powerful and our guns can't work on you, which, yeah, valid. Yeah. There's a reason to be concerned. And... Taking him at face value is difficult because, again, it's a post-9-11 world where everything is questioned and we're always waiting for the next attack and, and things like that. But it's the, we only have your word to take on this approach, which I find quite interesting. As in, if you're lying or if you have an off day, we're screwed because we can't stop you. Yeah. I think over this film and the next film, we can sort of tell that Zack Snyder's not the biggest Superman fan. No. <laughs> Why did he make this film? He's not a fan of just a guy who helps others. Yeah, he can't help a cat out of a tree because the very act of flying anywhere near the tree would uproot it and throw it through someone's house because that's what happens. I mean, yeah, we're not talking about Batman v Superman, but that film, the Superman in that is just very messy. But yeah, I think the message is not very well delivered in this. No, but I do like his connection with Lois. I think they bounce off each other really well. And the fact that she does the research and she learns through that research that he's a good guy and then when yeah. she gets to interact with him a bit, it kind of reinforces that. Although they don't really talk much. They talk in that interview. And also because she's only the really only person on her yeah. side, she also ends up in every situation. It's like we need to fly the pod into the ship. I guess she can get aboard, <laughs> fly into this war zone if you want, because <laughs> we need to have her there to be the good angle. But it also means Lois is then in situations yeah. which she really shouldn't be. I suppose they should have established that her dad's like a general and that's how she gets access, but that doesn't happen here. Oh, yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. In some versions, her dad's a military guy. Yeah. Including the new TV show. He's General Lane who talks to Superman all the time about stuff that's happening. They could have done that. Any of the military guys could have just been her dad, I suppose. But she gets 
arrested because she leaks that story and then that makes sense there. And then Clark slash Superman's condition for surrendering is, is for her to be freed. Leave her out of this sort of thing. Fiora's like, bring her with us. Why? Just happens to be standing there. I guess she's standing next to him, so it looks valuable to him. I don't know. This is a good chance to talk about not Jean Jean's, but it's kind of clearly that's what they were going to do. The General Swanwick, the Martian Manhunter, yeah. Although it's not clear in this film, I suppose. He's just a general. I think this is the first time I've watched it since they've said that's what they were wanting to go with him. And he has got a weird sort of vibe around him. But I feel like if they had leaned more heavily on that, he would have been a good character to be more on Superman's side. Because essentially he's gone for the exact same. But then also that's bad for the audience. Again, it's not a human of Earth accepting him. It's just another alien going like, oh yeah, let's help the aliens. Let's not shoot the aliens. Well, he's doing the opposite, isn't he? He's hiding. Yeah. And I suppose he might resent Clark for not hiding because I guess he could have the same mindset as Jonathan Kent. It's too dangerous to reveal yourself to the world because humans can't be trusted. And I've served in the military for so long that humans can't be trusted. But it's funny how they were planning to do this and then Supergirl did it before they could because they have Hank Henshaw, who turns out to be Martian Manhunter. And then there's that Superman Man of Tomorrow that the animated film's called. Martian Manhunter's in that as well. And it's a similar sort of idea. He's hidden for so long and then when Superman outs himself, he's like, you shouldn't have done that. So... It's not a new idea by this point, I suppose, but they never got the chance to do it first. And I wonder if they stopped themselves, because I think it was in Batman v Superman it was supposed to be revealed, because he's inexplicably in that film. Yeah, my guess is they were going to do him in that film, but already there's so much in that film that it's already overstuffed. Yeah, and then Supergirl had already done it as well. Yeah, and I guess that'll probably happen in the Snyder Cut. I think it definitely is happening in the Snyder Cut, yeah. I mean, in four hours, I suppose it bloody should be. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he is very cynical. I do like that scene at the end where Clark trashes the drone that's trying to follow him. He just dumps it in the middle of a desert road. That's one of your drones. You've been trying to follow me. You go on, but I'm going to help. Again, that's not a good... It's not showing trust, is it? It's not showing trust in the military, but then stop threatening people that you want to get on board with you. <laughs> he also admits that he grew up in Kansas in that scene, which seems a bit stupid. Although they already know because they had a big explosive fight in Kansas like a few hours ago. I don't mind that. Oh, no, I'm from Kansas. I'm fine. You can trust me. But you can trust me as he throws essentially something he's rigged into a bullet about <laughs> two foot away from the car they're driving. Like, you could have killed both of them if the car crashed weird or swerved. I'm on your side. I'm only trying to kill you when you watch me. <laughs> it's a really wrong message. I just leveled half a city as well, but uh, let's forget about that. <laughs> What I wanted to get onto was when he does learn about his heritage and he learns about his past and he learns about, well, not his past, but he learns about his people's past. I think the scene where he talks to the Jor-El AI, I find that really interesting because the way Henry Cavill performs him internalising all these answers that he's suddenly getting, I think is really good because he plays it as this overwhelmed idea and Jor-El is very blunt and matter-of-fact about everything and shows him the life history of Krypton and we did all this and then we destroyed ourselves because we were short-sighted and no one would listen to me, etc. And I think the idea of Krypton as... I don't know if you've read Brave New World or seen the TV show that was recently on. No. 
No. Well, in Brave New World, novel by Aldous Huxley, humanity has gotten to the point where they're grown, essentially engineered to do certain things. So essentially like Krypton in this, everyone's predisposed to, you have a role. So you're a cleaner, you're a janitor, you're whatever. Yeah, you're a scientist, you're a politician, you're a soldier, etc., etc. Yeah, you have no choice in what you become. Your life is preordained from birth to death, essentially. You get given a job and that's you. Yeah. You have no choice. You can't change it. You can't aspire to be anything. And then the idea that Jor-El didn't like that, and okay, we're going to have a natural birth here. We're going to have a child that's a product yeah. of the two of us. And then we're going to let him grow up in the way that normal kids would. The society would be like, what yeah. the hell is this abomination? This is ridiculous. And Zod says, heresy, destroy it. <laughs> you know, that's his reaction. But I like yeah. that idea of it taking to its conclusion because the whole point of a society like that is that it stagnates. There's never any innovation because no one can innovate. Cause, yeah, there's no ambition. Yeah. There's no innovation. Yeah. There's no progress. There's no new ideas. How can Jorel be a scientist? Because they're not going to discover anything new. What does he yeah. do all day? Learns how to box, I guess. <laughs> That's what he's decided to do, which is one thing. And that's an interesting idea because the reason they destroy themselves is because they lack the ambition to solve that problem. So they were mining the core of Krypton, a bit of environmentalism thrown in there as well. But they were mining all the natural resources until the planet just split apart because it couldn't sustain itself anymore. And then also all the colony worlds that they visit are dead. (laughs) Just burn up immediately. None of them able to... Yeah. because of the same reasons yeah so i like that huxleyan idea taken to its natural conclusion the society will run for a while but eventually it'll die because nobody can do anything to improve it and that's a really interesting idea and we'll explore it and jor-el is supposed to be different but also like as a contrast how zod is fully bought into what he's supposed to be he is a soldier that's all he is yeah. that's all he's ever been born to do and he's going to do it it doesn't matter what gets in his way he's going to be a soldier he's not going to change anything he does want to revive krypton because again his primary motivation is the preservation of his race as a soldier so he wants to terraform earth but why earth why not mars that would have been fine <laughs> it's also first time i've ever heard of what terraform is so i've heard something like terraform <laughs> like, oh, like the big tripod in man of steel <laughs> that's how i imagine it when it's you know in like a gardening show like Country files, like, well, first thing to terraform the area so it accepts this new land life. And I like to imagine, like, they just wheel in one of those world engines. <laughs> just, like, yeah. laser down this little plot of this, this <laughs> mansion. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're just outside of this palace. And there's just this world engine just destroying it. It's like, oh, we can plant these new flowers. Yeah, terraforming is quite a common sci-fi idea. Turning other planets into Earth-like environments. The working theory on how to do that is you essentially pollute the atmosphere so that it holds stuff in and then... yeah. It takes a long time, obviously, but they have a world engine which does it, and it transforms Earth's biosphere into the Kryptonian biosphere at the expense of us. But, yeah, there's an empty planet with similar conditions very nearby that they could have used, although they might have the Martian civilization on there. (laughs) They would object to that. World engines show up in actual Krypton, but don't they? So I guess that's how they've been colonizing. Yeah, so when Jor-El's doing the PowerPoint presentation of, this is Krypton's past. Yeah. A world engine drops. I guess it foreshadows that. And during Zod's very psychedelic, skull-drowning fantasy, yeah, whatever that is, the world engine drops in the distance there as well. Yeah, I guess that's just their sort of colony thingy. And obviously, just to yeah, you need the end. He doesn't have to go. Well, I mean, he does have to go because he has to get the codex to get the Krypton race. Yeah. So I guess, like, oh, while I'm here, 
it will do with a new planet. Yeah, the Codex, which is in Superman's body and doesn't make a difference to anything. There's another sort of magic blood situation. <laughs> yeah. Putting the Codex inside his body is a bit of a weird one. So he contains the genetic yeah. potential of, or the, some template for his entire race to, to be reborn, yeah. which never comes up again. It's hardwired into his genes or something, but he couldn't just go to Blood Donation Bank in Zod's ship and be like, oh, there you are. It was like, great. And I like, see you, and it's like, yeah, bye. Here's a pint of blood. There's a million people yeah. in here. Start with that. <laughs> That's the base DNA you need. That'll do. Yeah. yeah. It's all a bit weird. This is another case of the bit of the intro is coming back to haunt the rest of the film. Yeah. You could have been like, I'm a warlord, and I'm bad, and I want a new Krypton, and this is going to be it. I liked Zod, though. I think it's a really good version of him, because he has definite nuance there. And I really like the show he puts on when he introduces himself to the world, that you are not alone in every language. Yeah, that's a brilliant villain entrance. The static's a bit weird, though. I think it was like the last trailer, the You Are Not Alone trailer, yeah. which just started off with that around-the-world different thingies. I was like, this is so yeah. cool. That's a great sort of, we're arriving, the threat thingies here. Sometimes I don't mind stuff looking cool with no sense. Drags Zack Snyder through the You're All Style, No Substance thingy a bit, but that is one way. Yeah, this works. This looks cool. I like the static. I like how his face is morphing through the static when he's first speaking and stuff. I definitely think there's substance in this film to be found and the, the style's there as well the scene where Clark learns about his history and then jor keep testing your limits and he learns to fly for the first time I think that's an absolutely stunning sequence Yeah, and it's also very character driven as well I love the bit where he leaps into the air and then he suddenly realises he's flying and he has that I'm flying kind of reaction yeah that's good I like his delight and then he falls out of the sky and takes out half a mountain that's a good one. Yeah. And then he just flies around the world. There, there is good small moments, but it's making it all work, all service, which is the problem. I think the film could be a lot better, but I also think it has a lot of really good stuff in it. I think the combination of visuals plus score makes some things stand out more than they would otherwise. You've got that bit where the storage pod opens that has the suit in it, and the music there, and the way it looks, and everything. Yeah. It all comes together perfectly. And then when Clark picks himself up again after falling through a mountain. Yeah, and it's a flight. So. Yeah, and it has that speech from Jorel that you could be an ideal to strive towards. They can join you in the sun, that speech, which is a great speech. And as it's playing out, the music's starting to swell. The, the stones are rising up as he is preparing to take off and everything. I think, it's, yeah. I think it's a great sequence and I think it's a great affirmation of what he's trying to do. He's rising. He's rising from what he was into what he's going to be. And there's a lot of good thematic stuff there. I think Snyder is really good at connecting all these elements that he has and turning them into something that, that feels a bit more transcendent than it would normally. I think in lesser hands, if a director that wasn't as talented as Snyder clearly is, this film would have suffered a great deal. I don't know, I don't know if it was. A lot of its specific visuals, I'm not in all of his movies, it's in a fair few, but I can't think of any standout story ones. A lot of them, it's all spectacle. Rise of the Guardians, the Owls of Gahul. That's quite a good story. Clean Rise of the Guardians, 300. You remember them because they're nice visual stuff, but I don't know how, how good he is. 300's a classic example of what would otherwise be shallow crap if it was in someone else's hands. Because it looks so good. Yeah, it looks good. He definitely makes films that look good, but sometimes I feel like he doesn't do very well in the story element of the story. I think for Snyder, it entirely depends on the script that he has. He's a bit like Michael Bay in that way. Michael Bay can make Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen with a crap script. It has great visuals in it at times and there's 
definite craft at work there, but the script is a load of crap. An example of a great Michael Bay film with a great script is The Rock, Sean Connery and, and Nicolas Cage. It's kind of like a Michael Bay. It's like a superhero Michael Bay. Yeah, and I think if Zack Snyder has a great script, then the thing that he makes will be a great movie. Something like, maybe he doesn't have a great script, but the Dawn of the Dead remake is one of his strongest films, just because of what's on the page and what he can do with what's on the page. So I think maybe if Man of Steel had had a couple of passes on the script stage and then Snyder had taken that and committed it to screen, it would have been something quite special, more than it currently is. I know, I've been bagging on it a fair bit. It's really good. It just, overall, it suffers a lack of another one. It's a good intro, it's a good origin to like, oh, this is what this character is. And then there should have been another one where it's just a Superman, a Man of Steel 2 proper style. Yeah. But all the build-up in this film isn't explored further in the next one. It's just sort of abandoned or they moved to something else, which is a shame. Yeah, because Zack Snyder wants to make a Batman film. Yeah. Basically. And it's badly written in a lot of ways as well, which doesn't help. But honestly, I think if he'd gotten a great script, then it would have turned into something quite amazing. This is a good script, I think, but it's not a great script. And that's a problem with David Goyer as a writer in general. I think he writes good stuff at times, but it's always short of being great. Yeah, but like I say, there's lots of ideas and potential for the ideas to flourish, but they just kind of pass over them without really looking into them too much. Yeah, you get the ideas, they get the headlines, but you don't get the story behind it. So Superman as a mythical figure, Superman as a protector, Superman as Clark Kent's destiny is all suggested, but not really explored. And then there's bits where you've got Jor-El talking about Clark being the bridge between two worlds. That's something that could have gotten a bit more attention because Jor-El doesn't want Clark to be a beacon for humans, although that's part of it. He wants to revive the Kryptonian race on Earth and have Clark (laughs) bring them together. And Clark's choice during the film is whether to reject his origins and accept where he is now or not. And you get that bit where he flies into the ship that's not the Fortress of Solitude because it lands in the middle of Metropolis and he doesn't think to take it out for some reason. Despite how many people create monsters out of it in the next couple of films. But he flies in and Zod says, you destroy this ship, you destroy Krypton. And he says, Krypton had its chance. And then he lasers the pilot seat. So in a way, he's committing genocide there because he's stopping an entire race of people from coming back. But they're already dead, so that's a problem. But there's embryos in there as well. You've got the birthing chamber in that ship with the weird squid things that carry the... Oh yeah, like the weird egg thing. Yeah. So again, that's a big issue that they skirt around as well. Again, just get rid of the Krypton stuff. <laughs> so many of the problems in this movie can just be like, get rid of the Krypton stuff. <laughs> yeah, although I do like the Huxley and society destroying itself angle. But that's a personal thing. I love that story. I love Brave New World and I can see what they were trying to do there with Krypton in that respect. Yeah. And I think at the point where Clark makes that choice, there's so much going on anyway because there's just so much destruction <laughs> happening around. Metropolis is being trashed. I really like the Smallville yeah. battle. I like both the major action sequences but the Smallville battle where they're just levelling this small town really good and where Zod is threatening Martha and just Clark just flies in and pushes him out of the way and just starts wailing on him oh yes Bugby tackles him out of nowhere yeah there's lots of nice moments because we never had to fight anyone yeah. so there's nice moments where I'll just stand still for a minute and then out of nowhere I'll just get punched in the back of the head by like, the guy who in every 
arguing I can't tell if he's a robot or not, if he's just a big guy. I think he's just a big guy. There's like a weird commanding officer type character who stays on the ship. I can't tell if he's Zod superior or not. The bald guy. Yeah, the bald guy is like, yeah. you need to make sure this. I think he's just a scientist or something. He's just like a scientist, but he has the air of a Tarkin sort of type, like old military admiral type guy. That guy played a clone of Lex Luthor in Smallville. There's actually quite a few Smallville alum in there because they do use a lot of Canadian actors. And it's interesting for all the Kryptonians, they use foreign actors or non-American actors because that gives them that alien sense a bit more. Tamo Pinnicket, who I mentioned earlier, he's indeed in Smallville a couple of times. He played like two roles in Smallville, different things. And you've got Dr. Hamilton, but his assistant, I forget the actor's name, but he played Dr. Hamilton in Smallville. So it's like, I'm in the film and now I've been demoted to my own assistant. It's like a Padme Amidala's <laughs> style thingy where they can't have the real Dr. Hamilton revealed. <laughs> yeah, and then all he does is get killed because he, he knows to turn around an S shape so it's right side up. Oh yeah, <laughs> I love that. It's just, just, it's just misaligned. Yeah. yeah, it's that whole thing. It's not working. Why not? Let's get the scientist to look at it. All right, okay. Turn it around slightly. Anyone could have done that. Yeah. <laughs> I think it would have been funnier if it had just been one of the random soldiers. But try this. Yeah. But that was funny. Superman didn't tell them. Oh, yeah, make sure it's the right way round, by the way, before you plug in this key. Yeah, it's yeah. specific. It's a weird for a plug. It has to be like exactly 90 degrees. Yeah, it's kind of dumb. <laughs> yeah, the Smallville action sequence, although it is very product placement heavy, but it does give you that indication of when Clark is fighting, he may know a more about his powers, but they have military training. Or I guess military conditioning. Yeah, he can only really react. He's just trying to hold them for a bit, but it is like three actual strategists and tacticians he's taking on, and he doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, and the guy that grabs his cape when he tries to fly in and things like that. That's cool. I do like the idea of when Superman comes up against someone that is his equal, but also has yeah. training. That's an interesting one. He's not Batman. He hasn't needed to ever fight. He can't fight humans because he'll just punch them into dust, so he doesn't need to. <laughs> Yeah. It's like the first time someone can actually make him bleed. Yeah. And he's just getting thrown through everything. He's just getting absolutely destroyed. <laughs> and then the military are shooting at him as well because they don't trust him. It's like, shoot at them all. Yeah. What about the blue one? Uh, yeah, him too. Why not? Shoot everything. Shoot into the <laughs> fire. What about the civilians? Like, yeah. whatever. And it's the only instance of Superman saving someone, actually, when the guy is it, he falls out of the plane or whatever. Oh, yeah. We say it's Lois. Lois doesn't count in a way because she's a main character. I'm talking about just some random. Yeah. Nowhere during the Metropolis fight do you see him pulling civilians out of harm's way. It's big and bold and weird. And you could kind of say that it's because he is out of his depth and everything's just kind of getting ex- yeah. destroyed around him. But there is also moments where they have a joke about a first kiss <laughs> just in the middle of this absolute crater. Well, it's the bit where that Jenny, I think her name is, says, he saved us, technically. I suppose. You're lucky that they defeated the Kryptonians before they killed you. I suppose that counts. Yeah, none of that's his fault. He's just trying to stop something that's... It's like if me or you had to try and stop a house fire and we've just got a damp square of kitchen towel and also (laughs) we've been punched in the head and we're dizzy. We're trying our best. (laughs) But there is lots of moments where, yeah, he isn't being very helpful. He's causing some destruction just because he's so clumsy i guess he's flying past buildings that are just exploding from the shock waves yeah since the avengers came out you notice how a lot of blockbusters have essentially this as their climax a massive very long 
city-destroying brawl with a lot of property damage. I mean, the Avengers did it really well because they balanced the whole heroics with the alien invasion and they used all the characters well. Whereas in this, it is just wanton destruction. And people are getting in the way. You don't directly see people die as such. You just see a lot of destruction and buildings falling down. And... Yeah, there's lots of films that don't handle it well at all and there's some films that kind of handle it better. Yeah, but the thing is they learn the wrong lesson from this film just routinely in other films because yeah. you have this whole people are annoyed that civilians are being killed in superhero films or action films. That's not the case. I think collateral damage is important because it heightens attention, it gives them another problem to deal with, etc. Whereas instead you get Bizarre lines such as in Batman v Superman, where, why did you bring Doomsday back to the city? The port's abandoned, so we can fight here and no one will get hurt. <laughs> Personally, I think Captain America Civil War is the worst example of collateral damage for no reason. Because <laughs> the airport fight is, there's a plane they're trying to get to. That would be the biggest terrorist attack in Europe. If that happened in real life, Berlin's airport's taken out. Every flight, at least over Europe, potentially from America as well, or India and Asia, is grounded. Who are they fighting? It's like just themselves for no yeah. reason. They're having what would be a office discussion about signing some paperwork. And it's so stupid. That Throwing each other through buildings. Yeah. yeah, and man throws a truck of fuel. He's like, oh, I thought that was just a, a truck that carried suitcases or whatever. <laughs> He's ripping wings off planes. And <laughs> yeah, Wanda's throwing cars at Hawkeye and stuff. You're like, this is just nonsense. It's destruction porn, I guess. It's like the closest I can think to it. But I mean, that's the worst example. Avengers was... 2012 yeah and you got captain america who's like oh yeah take the guys down this street and block off this street and stuff oh yeah that's how you do it (laughs) you just make sure that the heroes are struggling to keep attention and it's a herculean task of stopping the villains but also they are trying their best to minimize stuff the end of age of ultron was a bit of a reaction to this as well in the sense that it's all about let's save the people of sokovia yeah it's getting little evacuation ships and also the weird scene in Dawn of Justice, where it's like, oh, we've made sure the city's empty. <laughs> Everyone's out of that building. They've all gone home. Yeah, there's that line in Batman v Superman. It's a good job there's no one around because the working day has ended in Metropolis, so there's no one to be killed by these <laughs> yeah. giant monsters. Everyone's gone home. No one lives in the city. No one stayed on for a drink today. Yeah. It's all fine. No one's out for dinner or anything like that in the middle of this city. No one's here. It's okay. And they had the Pacific Rim sequel where everyone got into underground shelters so that the robots and monsters could punch each other without fear of killing civilians. And I think that's the wrong lesson because, yeah, civilians can get killed. That's a problem. That's something that heroes should have to deal with. And as you say in the Avengers, it's we're going to free these people from this trapped bus. We're going to evacuate them across here. Captain America is going to go into a bank to save people who are being held hostage. Stuff like that. Yeah, you need the small on-the-scene view as well as the punching Thanos yeah. view or whatever. And that's the right way to do it. And I think if you do see civilians killed in the middle of one of these things and there's no real way to prevent that, but you can try and save as many people as possible, that's all right. And Superman being overwhelmed by this is an interesting idea. In a similar sequence in Superman 2, he realises the fight is hurting the people and Zod realises that Clark cares about the people, so he just deliberately attacks them until the point where Superman flies away. And... I guess they could have done something where he tries to get Zod out of the city. Because destroying his ship, opening up the wormhole, the Phantom Drive, and shoving them in the Phantom Zone, that's something that you need to do because that's not Superman's fault that they're doing that there. Because they've just chosen Metropolis as the point that they're going to attack. Yeah, It's more the one-on-one. Yeah. It's during the one-on-one bit, he should be making more effort to get him out of the city. And he gets him into space, but he brings him right back. 
in the middle of the city. Yeah. So we haven't destroyed this part of the city yet, so off we go. We're gonna we're gonna demolish this part of the city now. And they kind of try to do that a bit with Zod's final moments where there's that family or that small group of people that aren't trapped at all. They could just run in the other yeah. direction and they'd be fine. Zod is very slowly heat visioning towards them and Clark has to snap his neck. Real world, lots of people freeze up. Yeah. It's all they'd say, like, oh yeah, they could have just ducked and got away. Yeah. They're probably frozen with terror. <laughs> yeah, like if you're in a burning building, you could probably jump out a window or you can just cower yeah. and die, which is what <laughs> I'd probably do. Yeah, that's fine in that respect, but there was definite other options in that moment, I think. Again, yeah. Superman could have just flown him up like he just did a minute ago. I mean, they do that in the Doomsday, don't they? Like the first thing he does in the Doomsday fight is just get him in space. Yeah. Because they love it, they've learned. That's fine, they overwhelmed that. I mean, they could have just had a couple more scenes of him just trying to save people. Yeah, I think they didn't need that Superman and the people element. Yeah, and I think it's a really cool sequence, especially when it's just him and Zod. And Zod's like, look at me, I can fly now because I've learned how to fly in five minutes. How long did it take you to learn to fly? Oh yeah, you learned half an hour ago or whatever it was. I love when he has this clearly very painful heat vision thing where he's just holding onto his <laughs> temples and screaming and he's just unable to control... Actually, another sort of sidebar. There was a thing recently on Twitter about how do people feel about Superman having laser vision. I'm on the, I think the laser vision is dumb, side of the argument. So my least favourite of Superman's powers is the laser eyes. Hmm. It's one of his well-known powers as well. I think it's an odd power for him to have. And I've never been a fan of that out the shadows of the deep red eyes look. But obviously, you know, personal preference thing. <laughs> yeah, Superman with lasers I'm not a fan of. I mean, sometimes these don't weld things, but strength and flight and speed kind of make sense, and the breath and stuff. But I still put laser eyes in the more old-fashioned, you know, spin around the world and turn back time or clone himself immediately sort of set of dumb powers that don't really make sense. Does he ever use his breath in these films? I don't think he does. He does in... Justice League, he freezes Steppenwolf's axe. Oh, that's right, yeah. But he doesn't in this film at all. No, not in these ones, no. So that's the only power they don't do, then, of his more famous ones. Oh, it's all standard, yeah. The heat vision, I've always just accepted it as part of what he can do. In this, it's particularly aggressive, I think. Yeah. I think, to me, it's more about the look of the red eyes. It doesn't gel with the gentle Boy Scout hero (laughs) attitude. It seems to hurt him as well, which I quite like. Yeah. It's when he uses it to cut through the ice to get to the ship. And you see him, he sort of winces a little bit and holds his eyes. Yeah. It does seem to, as I say, hurt for some reason. Which is, I guess, weird if it's one of your powers. Why would it hurt you so much? But yeah, it's odd screaming. And the next snap has become very controversial over the years. It was controversial immediately because Superman apparently doesn't kill. I would disagree with that. I think he does. I don't mind it yet. I think in this case, I think there's a line where it says like, it's just like never or something. Leave him is like never. He's like, oh yeah, this guy's never going to stop. Yeah, what am I supposed to do? There's no prison on the planet <laughs> yeah. that can hold him. What else do I do? Kryptonite hasn't been invented yet. Yeah. Yeah, there's no clear option for what Superman can do. So, yeah, kill him. It'd be more weird not killing him in this situation. (laughs) Yeah, plus people try to subscribe to the notion that Superman never kills in the comics. He does, not all the time, but he does when he feels he has to. Yeah, but if it's like a Lex Luthor or something, yes, take him to jail. (laughs) He's a human man. But if it's something that that's the only safe way of stopping them, then 
Yeah. Because people say that about Captain America as well. He was a soldier during the war. He obviously killed people. Yeah. He didn't just throw a shield at them and move on. He had a gun in the first film he does anyway. Yeah. And so on. So, And then people say that Batman doesn't kill, whereas every cinematic version of Batman actually has. Yeah, Batman's a bit of a boot. <laughs> Except George Clooney. I think he's the only one that never murdered anybody. No, also, Batman, he doesn't kill him, but he's happy to break every bone <laughs> yeah. in their body again and again. Batman might be aged out of popularity at some point because he's just... Routinely yeah. <laughs> beating up mentally ill people. It's not a sort of compassionate. Most villains, you could sort of say, if Batman was like, oh, riddle me this. Can you best me? I'm the best thinker in Gotham world. And Batman could just be like, oh, yeah, you did. Oh, good. <laughs> I feel like that'd be a good way of stopping the riddler, just sort of being like, Batman doesn't care. Yeah. He's talking to someone with an obsessive disorder. <laughs> you don't have to punch him all the time. Just talk sometimes, Batman. Just don't engage him. Yeah, just don't engage him. <laughs> He's only doing this because you keep reacting to what he's up to. So yeah. stop, and then he'll stop doing it. It's just a YouTube commenter. Just, <laughs> yeah. just block him. <laughs> <Yeah. Don't> <laughs> yeah, Batman decided not to go out tonight. The city's safer as a result. But yeah, I've read many Superman comics where he kills. And it usually is of other Kryptonians or people in Battleworld or whatever, aliens yeah. and things. He tends to do it as a last resort. That's not what he likes doing, and it doesn't make him feel good. And also... If they wanted to go for the Superman doesn't kill approach in these films, then this could be the catalyst for that mindset. It kind of feels like, yeah, this is the one. Yeah. This is the kill that put him on the path to not kill him. Well, the first thing he does in Batman v Superman is flies a man through a wall. Until the next film where he kills him. <laughs> <laughs> and then again, that film he also meets an unstoppable monster that he has to kill because there's no option. But yeah, it's good as if the next one was just a pure Lex Luthor or something. Oh, I've taken a life, pretty traumatic. So he'll, in the future, he'll find another way. Yeah, I hate you doing that. I'm not doing that again. Or he could arrive at a different position on it. In Arrow, in its fifth season, I think it was, Oliver Queen came to a conclusion about lethal force and he was going to approach every situation on a case-by-case basis. So it's not he was never going to kill again because he didn't feel that that's realistic based on what he can do and what he does. But every situation was going to be assessed on its own merits and he would kill if he felt like he had to. So Superman could, in these films, have done that. But he doesn't, because you never find out really what he stands for after this. Yeah, Batman vs. Superman doesn't really count as a Man of Steel 2, which is a different film, which kind of has Superman a little bit. Yeah, it picks up some of the elements from it, but it's not about that, which is unfortunate, because there was a lot of directions this could have gone in, and there's a lot yeah. of potential for it. And I thought they were ditching Kryptonite as an idea as well. I quite like the whole idea of Krypton's atmosphere is actually toxic to him. So when he's trying to destroy the world engine, it's literally the atmosphere of his, of his own planet that's the threat. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a fresh sort of way of dealing with him. Yeah, but then picking up that thread of, oh, look, there was a little bit of the planet that was terraformed and here's a bit of kryptonite. That was actually okay as a consequence because we found it in the middle of the Indian Ocean where the thing was. That works, actually, to some extent. So I think we've made our way through everything The we can so that's pretty comprehensive in terms of wrapping this discussion up so we've talked a lot about the legacy actually through subsequent films i know we have an announcement of a film that they're in production on or starting production on that was going to be jj abrams involved great hold me back where we might get a black superman but in terms of henry cavill continuing in the role it seems to be up in the air whether that's going to happen do you like henry cavill superman do you want to see more of him what kind of thing do you want to see from him i want to see more henry cavill superman there's a good opportunity there i mean we know nothing about this new film so it could carry on from this henry cavill is very popular at the moment he's probably more popular now from like the witcher and other roles so 
he's still a good name to get and obviously he likes being Superman so glad to see more of him yeah I think it's highly likely the new one will be a black actor playing Superman in some way yeah it could be a different Superman it could be Henry Cavill's involved it could be from a different universe yeah doesn't really matter yeah it doesn't matter yeah we know like JJ's involved Tiny She Coates is writing it that's about it it could be this it could be anything really we don't know yeah and it's just a shame the legacy of this film isn't that Henry Cavill went on to develop the role because Batman v Superman he's very passive and doesn't say much or internalize much in Justice League the current version he is the Christopher Reeve Superman he's suddenly that and has been like that all along apparently so it doesn't work yeah so it'll be interesting to see what they do with him in the Snyder Cut. yeah it's probably going to be more like Batman v Superman yeah it's not going to be very good it'll be it's interesting I don't have my hopes up because I think it's just going to be like the nightmare in Justice <laughs> yeah. which is most likely the black suit Heat visioning civilians. That's what we're going to get, probably. Which is a shame. Because I do think Henry Cavill could have been a really different take on Superman. I liked him doing the Christopher Reeve sincerity in Justice League a bit. I think that worked okay. But it also felt a bit artificial because that's not who he is or that's not who had been set up in this film. I think he could have found a different take on it and still been this beacon of optimism because he is quite optimistic in this film. He's very hopeful and let that manifest in its own way, let it develop in its own way and let him do stuff because there's that scene in Justice League where he talks about, oh, the S is hope and it's like a river. Yeah, that's not you. You never say that. You've never talked like that in your life. Not in any of the films we've seen. What is this? (laughs) So I think that we have that issue with the Henry Cavill Superman is he was never properly defined because this film started that journey and then they never continued it. But I really want to see him in the role because I think he's really good in it. And I think you get a sense of what he might be like with the other Justice League members in Justice League where he bounces off people. And him and Amy Adams had good chemistry and just different little bits here and there that they could have expanded on. So if he does give up the role, he'll be missed for me anyway. Yeah, I would like to see more of him. It's like a good, if shaky start. He could be a really good, proper, definitive Superman. It's just if he gets the right material to work with. Yeah. I mean, he almost had the role when Brandon Routh got it. And Brandon Routh obviously got to play Superman one last time for Crisis, which is good for him. Mm-hmm. And we've got Tyler Hicklin. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He's a good Superman as well. Yeah. So we'll see. I hope Henry Cavill gets to make a proper Superman movie. Yeah, I hope so too. It'll be a shame if he just gets a bad run. Or the Snyder Cut, whatever that legacy is, if that's his last go at it. Yeah, yeah. hopefully not. That'll be a shame. So as a conclusion, what is your thoughts on this movie i said most of it pretty much yeah it's good it's fun watch just don't think about it too much just sit and watch it and have some popcorn but don't worry about what's happening that'll be my conclusion i think i've thought too much about it i think that's my problem and i'm trying to rationalize things that it does and doesn't do but i really enjoy it i think it's really good the action is just fun you know it's just really destructive and the powers on display are, are great to see and it looks amazing. I think it's a really good film. Yeah. And then the difference between Batman v Superman and Justice League and this is that there's definite intent in this film. As in, it's the only one of the now defunct Snyderverse that isn't interfered with during production, really. So the film yeah. that's made is the film that was intended to be made rather than let's just change things at the last minute while we're still making it and have it make no sense. That really comes across here. It is what it wants to be holds itself together yeah. in that sense whereas the others don't so i really appreciate it for that i think yeah whether people like it or not there's definite intent behind everything that it's doing it's a vision 
Yeah, it's a go. It's a solid go. Need another pass in the scripting stage, I think. But other than that, it would have been better if they'd cemented his Man of Steel with a proper Man of Steel too, which would have balanced out this one a bit in the future, maybe. But as it currently stands, pre Snyder Cut, we don't know what's coming with that, and it just seems like it's a running start. But then they just sort of stopped <laughs> immediately. Yeah, I think it owes a lot to Batman Begins as well. Man of Steel's probably the wrong title. Superman Begins might have been more appropriate. Yeah, they're going for that sort of gloomy Batman look. Yeah, which does and doesn't work for Superman. I think a gloomy world with Superman as a hopeful figure within it, and you get shades of that here, I think that's important. I think that's a really good way of showing it. Yeah, he's a beacon of light, and it's a shame the costume colours are so muted because he could stand out. It would maybe help if he stood out a bit more in that sense. Yeah. On that note, we shall wrap up then. So that was our discussion of Man of Steel. We are awaiting the Snyder Cut, but you can listen to us talk about Man of Steel. Or you've already done that. You've listened to us talk about Man of Steel. So, Isaac, thanks for joining for this long overdue conversation. Yeah, no I've wanted to do this podcast for a while and it's, it's not happened. Yeah, it's been fun. For the music that you're hearing possibly right now, big thanks to the YouTuber Neil Stenson for the Man of Steel Ideal of Hope music, as it's called, that he covered. It, it sounds really cool. If you want to talk to us about Man of Steel, Superman... Snyderverse, superheroes, anything. You can get us on Facebook and Twitter under Neil Before Blog, or you could just leave comments on neilbeforeblog.co.uk. You can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, whatever it's called now, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And if you are on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a star rating and a comment. Apparently, it feeds the algorithm, and algorithms are hungry and need to be fed. So that's that. And as always, we hope you'll join us on the next Kneel Before Pot.